is Wellness 101, brought to you by the Institute of Natural Health, your home for common sense science-based health care. Here's your host, Dr. T.J. Williams. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. We have another exciting episode of Wellness 101 in store for you today. We actually have part two of um, it. We'll probably get through stuff today. Um, part two of, of talking about low T3 syndrome, which is a thyroid disorder. And uh, last week, we spent much of the time talking about actual thyroid physiology, what goes on. And this week, we are going... So go back. If you didn't listen to it, go back and listen to that. Um, that way, you can get caught up. I'll do a really brief rundown of, of what we talked about last week. And then we also, uh, this week are going to be talking about inflammation and like how the, how the, how to actually help this situation if this is, if this is you. So, uh, Aaron did a whole lot of talking last week and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the advanced thyroid class. That's what we were um, oh, yeah. saying last week. We, we did say it was advanced class. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, you're handling most of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, jump in whenever you feel free. I will. <laughs> just, just jump right in there because, yeah, I, 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 I hogged the airwaves last week, I think. And, uh, yeah, so that's that. So I guess starting out, let's go back and talk a little bit about the five steps of basic thyroid physiology so you're at least caught up of what we're talking about. So um, the thyroid metabolism is basically a five-step process. The first step involves the hypothalamus, which is a small little gland inside the in the brain. Um, it monitors levels of thyroid hormone in our blood and in the body, and it produces thyrotropin-releasing hormone, or TRH. So the hypothalamus makes this TRH. The TRH goes and acts on the anterior pituitary, which is just below the hypothalamus, but it's outside of the blood-brain barrier. And this thing causes the, um, the TRH causes the anterior pituitary to create thyroid stimulating hormone or thyrotropin, thyroid stimulating hormone. Like I said last week, a lot of things in the body have a couple of uh, different names. So you just got to pick one and go. Most people understand TSH. Then TSH travels from the anterior pituitary and it goes and acts on the thyroid itself and causes the thyroid to produce its thyroid hormones, T1, T2, T3, and T4. Um, we don't really talk a lot about T1 and T2. Um, what we really pay attention to is T3 and T4. We make a whole lot of T4 um, and not very much T3. We actually make 17, the ratio is 17 to 1 in making T4 to T3. But T3 is the one that's biologically active and it is um, about five times more biologically active than T4. And then T4 is in the body uh, is since we make so much of it, we convert it into T3. And that Conversion takes place throughout the body in a bunch of different tissues by these um, by the deiodinase system or taking away an iodine uh, enzyme. That's an enzyme that takes away an iodine to convert from T4 to T3. This takes place in places in things like the liver and the gut and skeletal muscle, brain, and even the thyroid itself. And then um, transport proteins carry this T4 and T3 to the tissues where they're actually used to en enact their metabolic effects on the tissues. And then we're back to step one again, the body or the, the, uh, the um, 
the hypothalamus measuring these levels of, of things in the tissues. So that's kind of the recap of the five-step process of, of thyroid function and physiology. So where we left off last week, we're basically talking and we, we got to the point where we were going to talk about inflammation and how inflammation plays a role here. So like I said before, last week, researchers believe that this fall in T3 um, that we see in acute and chronic illness is most likely due to impaired production of T3 or a decrease in the thyroid binding proteins. Um, and if you missed that part, please go back and listen to it. I explain a little more detail. But both of these changes, the key here is that both of these changes are actually caused by inflammation or, you know, our house burning down. That's We do a lot of house and, and car analogies here, and this is the, the body's on fire when you have inflammation. Which we talk about a lot on this show. Inflammation is the cause of so many things, so it really shouldn't be all that surprising that your thyroid problems probably come down to inflammation too. And I know we've talked a lot about different treatments and therapies that we have at the clinic that help inflammation. And it's because inflammation is so far reaching. If you have inflammation within the body, so many things can go wrong. Correct. She, she got a few words in, ladies and gentlemen. Yep, that's all I have to contribute. <laughs> it ahead. might be it might be me for the next the, for the rest of the hour. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so one of the things that we see uh, clients for, well, they, they, that drives them to us is people coming in wanting to um, lose weight or feeling like they're gaining weight, and they believe that their thyroid has um, has a role in this. And there's a lot of discussion out there that about the body fat, body fat set point. Um, this is a very complex feedback, neurobiologic feedback system that basically regu- regulates our weight. But there's also a set point of the hypothalamus, pituitary, and thyroid, or the HPT axis, that regulates the production of these endocrine hormones that are all playing a role in whether a person gains or loses weight. And so what we notice is it seems like that low TSH um, associated with illness or the, the failure of TSH to rise in response to low T4 and T3 is actually caused by intra, uh, alterations rather in a person's set point of their hypothalamus pituitary thyroid axis. So again, if you remember, the hypothalamus releases this thyroid uh, thyrotro- uh, thyrotropin releasing hormone. It acts on the pituitary part two, the HPT axis, hypothalamus. Then it acts on the pituitary. The pituitary releases TSH, which goes to the thyroid, the HPT axis. It's how we get this thyroid hormone into our body. So what we noticed or what researchers have noticed is there's a, uh, there's a little group of neurons in right next to um, the periventricular n- nucleus of the hypothalamus. It's a big fancy word for this area next to the hypothalamus um, that's responsible for promoting TSH production in the pituitary and regulating thyroid hormone s- synthesis. And so when they actually took um, like postmortem samples of these of these areas – um, for people who had, you know, chronic illness, they actually show a, re- a decrease of thyrotropin-releasing hormone gene expression in this particular area of the brain. So I, I think that's very interesting. It's like 
the body wasn't even able to do it on its own because it's like the person's genetics had altered or changed and they weren't able to, to release this stuff. Epigenetics. Ep- epigenetics. <laughs> That's exactly right. Epigenetics. Yes, there are things that you do that can turn off certain genes or turn turn them on or off so right and and your it's your choices that turn these genes on and off that is what epigenetics are these things that's what it is that's why so often on the show we say you know there are so many times when people blame things on genetics and genetics is very infrequently the actual problem because even if you do have a specific gene you can alter how that gene is expressed depending on your lifestyle choices. That's exactly right. So there there are a lot of different things that can cause changes in this HPT axis, okay? Two of the uh, more relevant ones, more important ones, I guess, are inflammation, which we just talked about, and then either a decline in serum leptin levels or leptin resistance. So... We're going to talk just a second here about about leptin. So leptin is this hormone in the body that tells your body to that it's full. And what we see is we we check leptin. We check this in in a lot of different people. And people look at us and they're like, why are we running all of these labs? What's going on? Well, leptin is important in this whole this whole procedure and this whole process. Leptin tells your body that it's full. So your body will release this hormone when you're eating and you've had enough food, you actually secrete leptin and leptin tells you that you're full. There's another hormone that's that, that it's that it is that. Oh, well, I had a hard time right there. You did. It, you, it want, is, you want to try that is, again? The, yeah, I will, I will try it again. I'm not going to I'm not going to promise that I'm going to get it correct. Um, so there's an opposite to leptin. How's that? There's an opposite. And the opposite is ghrelin. And ghrelin makes your stomach growl. Um, that's, that's how I remembered it. And so ghrelin makes your stomach growl and leptin makes you feel full. And so we really care about if someone has a decrease um, in serum leptin levels, they're not going to know that they're full. Or if they're resistant to leptin, they're not going to get the effects of leptin. So these people are going to overeat. And guess what overeating leads to? Aaron? Obesity. Obesity. And a lot of other problems. Yes, there's a lot of things that go on there. Yeah, but there's so many. I mean, we've talked so many times on the show about the fact that a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of shame associated with people who are overweight. And if you have these issues, you until that's fixed, it's going to be really hard to stop yourself from overeating. Right. Really, it's an uphill battle. Right. So, and it's not very frequently checked. So, so we're about to blow some minds here. Um, one of the things that causes this, so our body creates these inflammatory cytokines, and we talked about this last um, last week. These cytokines are how our cells talk to each other, and there are a lot of different ones, like interleukin six. That's an inflammatory cytokine. So these things will actually suppress the production of thyrotropin-releasing hormone in this particular area of the brain that we were talking about, the paraventricular nucleus. But then there's also this whole idea of not eating as much food and fasting. And when we come back, we're going to talk about how people who eat less when they have chronic illness, and I'm going to extrapolate that a little farther and talk about people who are dieting, how they can actually create 
a decrease in leptin so that eventually they will eat more and gain more weight. And this is kind of an explanation of yo-yo dieting and, you know, up and down weight gain. So very exciting stuff. You're listening to Wellness 101. Wellness 101. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I think that Aaron might actually get some talking time this this time around. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm lying. I, I, I highly doubt it. I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure. Unless she's going to weigh in on some leptin here, I'm not really sure. Yeah. Or diadenases. <laughs> <laughs> or diadenases. Yes. Yes, she's talking about diadenases. I love it. I won't be. No, no, she's not going to. Okay, sorry, ladies and gentlemen. False alarm, false alarm. Um, Okay, so when we left before the break, we were talking about how um, fasting can alter um, leptin levels. Um, So I really want to focus on this for just a second. So what researchers have found is that fasting or diminished caloric intake due to someone having a prolonged illness actually leads to decreased T3 levels. And their thinking is that this is actually mediated by a decrease in circulating leptin. So let's let's extrapolate here just a little bit. So a lot of, of people out there, um, there, there are a lot of weight loss gurus out there. And there are... People who on one side of the fence say decrease your calories in and increase the work that you do to where calories in is less than calories out and you will lose weight. And I'm not sure I 100% agree with that one, um, just to be honest, Um, because there is another faction out there that say – if you eat less, you will slow your metabolism down, and that's a problem. So you want to eat more to lose more. And there's a there's a very popular guy out there. His name's Mark Hyman. He's written the book Eat Fat, Get Thin, um, and he's talking about making sure to eat enough food, um, especially fats, to help your metabolism kick up. Basically, what researchers have said leads me to believe that you're better off eating more as long as you're active. Now, eating more and just sitting at home and doing absolutely nothing about it and eating garbage food is not going to benefit you. But if you're eating healthy, organic vegetables, fruits, and you're eating lots of healthy fats and you're eating very lean meats and you're eating well, the more you eat, the more calories you're going to burn because you're not going to allow your body to have this decrease in circulating leptin. You're going to be causing yourself to make this stuff. So it's a very interesting concept. Um, it's one that I I believe and a lot of our patients are actually pleasantly surprised when they walk in and they want to lose weight. And I'm like, how much do you eat in a day? And we figure out that they eat less than 1500 calories. And we're like, okay, eat more. And it blows their mind a little bit and they trust us. And then they eat more and they start dropping weight and they can't really explain it. And then we have to basically, in a nutshell, I give them this 
hour-long show that we're doing today to explain this is why you were you were starving yourself and causing your body to conserve every single calorie that you consumed rather than your body saying, oh, well, I'm going to get more so I can go ahead and burn through this. Um, it's a whole different physiologic mechanism that goes on. So they actually the, – the researchers that we're talking about here actually found that leptin prevents certain – areas of the neurons in the brain from inhibiting this TRH gene expression. So this, again, is going to lower leptin levels. And, you know, there may not be any specific studies on, you know, leptin resistance specifically, but it is not too far of a stretch to think that leptin resistance could have the same T3 decreasing effect or T3 lowering effect. It's just not a physiologic stretch, especially when you understand the physiology of what's going on. That's why it's so important if you're looking for help out there, you have to have somebody that's helping you that actually understands and can explain to you and teach you why this is going on. The physiology behind this is very, very important. So just because you have low T3 doesn't mean you need to take T3 or just because your thyroid stimulating hormone is high doesn't mean that your thyroid's not functioning well. There are a lot of complex things that are going on in the background here that really can have a major impact on you. I don't know how many people come into our clinic that are on medications for thyroid function and we very quickly can show them through working with them in other aspects of their life that they all of a sudden don't need those thyroid medications. And it's it's baffling to me that people are just very quick to jump to take this med. This will fix your problem when that wasn't their freaking problem to begin with. Well, and I don't think that it's people jumping. I think that we all have the tendency to trust the doctor when you're not feeling well and you go into a to see a doctor and they say this is what you need, then you trust the doctor because you don't know. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that's what most conventional medical doctors reach for. That's what they have in their toolkit. They don't right. have these other things. Right. I mean, like, like I just said there, yeah, that's very, you're very correct. That's, that's so true. It's, it, it's very, very true. Because I know that you frequently have people who are extremely frustrated once you explain it. Right. They weren't doing it on purpose. They thought they were doing, you know, what was going to help them. Right. That's exactly right. And, you know, so so a lot of people, a lot of people out there are aware that poor thyroid function, if your thyroid's not working right, that you're likely going to gain weight. That's just something that pretty much everybody understands. Pretty much everybody understands that that thyroid hormone um, actually regulate your metabolism and, and do these things. But what we're trying to, su- to to suggest here is that this mechanism may work the other way. That it may be that this leptin resistance, this inability of your body to actually utilize leptin and causing you to be overweight, the over being overweight and obese may actually contribute to poor thyroid function. So it doesn't just have to be a one-way street. We're saying that this is possibly the other way. It could be the being overweight is leading to the thyroid problem. And that's where the boat gets missed, I think, for a lot of doctors is they're just like, oh, it's just one way. It's thyroid function is leading to overweight when it or obesity when it could be the other way. Which makes perfect sense if you think about it. You can gain weight, you can lose weight. That goes one way and then the other. So why couldn't the problem that's causing it be both directions? Right, which is true for so many different functions in the body. Very much so. Yeah, and that's why when you have something that's off, you end up with a lot 
more things that are off because right. it, everything is interconnected. And that's why, you know, our segmented medical system misses so many things. Ooh, segmented medical system. That is is exactly what they're doing. Yeah. It's it's also that's exactly right. And when you stop that segmentation and you come back to the whole person and you look at absolutely everything that's going on with that person, you can get a much bigger picture and it's actually relatively easy to funnel things down to the handful of things that are going awry. I just had to work the word awry yeah. in. Yeah. Um it, it fit. It fit. Uh, the things, the hand, you get them down to these handful of things that actually are, are are not functioning properly. You fix those, and it's like miracles happen left and right because these people have all these things that start getting better and things that they didn't even come in to see us for. They realize, oh, hey, Doc, also, you know, the, I was having this, and I don't even notice that anymore. And I used to wake right. up at 3 o'clock in the morning every morning and, and have to go to the bathroom, and I don't have to do that. And I used to have this, and I used to have that, and it used to hurt to walk up and down stairs. And, I mean, all these different things that they didn't even come to us for. Right. Well, people get so used to uh, so many dysfunctions that right. they don't even notice that they have them. Or they attribute them to getting older because that happens all the time. Right. Um, women attribute these things to menopause or, you know, or yeah. gaining weight, they attribute it to, oh, well, you know, that's why I have some pain when that isn't necessarily the issue. But when you fix the underlying problem, all of those other issues go away. That is exactly right. When you get down to it and you can fix what's going on underneath there and not being told, oh, we're just going to be good to the root cause. We get to the root cause. We get to the root cause. But actually telling you what is going on. Right. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of the frustration comes with you, too, is not necessarily from these medical doctors. But, you know, a lot of there's a lot of talk right now um, you know, alternative medicine practitioners saying, you know, we're going to find the root cause or we're, you know, practicing functional medicine. And they they don't necessarily understand how everything works together. And so they might always dive in and try to fix your sex hormones or they try to dive in and fix, I mean, these specific things where... You can't do that. If that's not the underlying problem, I mean, that's not always going to be the cause. So you have to figure out what the actual cause is and fix that. Perfect example. We just had a patient in. um, Bless her heart. We went through all this and we we found all this. And in our initial talk, we we talked about what we were going to do. We talked about the labs that we were going to run. And when everything came back, I was completely baffled because what we thought was the issue wasn't actually the problem. And had we just said, oh, okay, you know, we're going to go here, we're going to do this without looking at a bigger picture, we would have completely missed the boat and said, oh, no, it's just this over here. It would have led us in a completely different direction. And, I mean, this lady is beyond thankful that we took a much bigger picture because, I mean, and in talking to her, we both were on a, in agreement that this was likely there was a there was a specific event that happened in her past that her health started to down to a downward spiral, and we were pretty convinced that it was that. After looking at all of her lab work, we actually figured out that it was an event even further in the past that had happened that was driving the, her health issues. And that's where she started to fall apart. So we have to go back even further and fix that issue. And once we fix that, she's going to start feeling even better and better. I mean, we've done very little and she's already improving and already feeling better. And it's just because we knew how to look at a bigger picture. Right. And I think that that, you know, what you said makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of times people come in and you talk to them and you've got a pretty good idea of what the problem is. Yeah. 
but you still test. That's and right. Because of situations like that. Exactly like that. <laughs> that's why you know, okay, well, we need to test to make sure because we don't want to start down this path and then find out, you know, later on that, oh, wait, we guessed wrong. Yep. Oops. Sorry. Right. Yeah. We don't like to do that. So, all right. So we have more. We got to take a quick break. We have more uh, low T3. Thr- low T3 syndrome and thyroid talk when we come back right after this. You're listening to Wellness 101. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. We have been talking. If you're just tuning in, you've missed a, a whale of a show. Aaron has talked twice. Yep. Twice. I think twice. It's 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 it, it's sad. It's sad. She has very little to say on this one. We are talking about the thyroid, and we're actually getting into physiology and its impact on the body and how things are are working and how they react and interact and all kinds of things and we're talking specifically about having someone having low t3 syndrome so do you have anything you want to throw in before i i I get going and uh no no did you hear that ladies and gentlemen she said nope and that was it (laughs) done she's out okay so before the break we were talking about uh i don't know i think i was on a bit of a rant yeah, uh, yeah, you were. Yeah, I was on a rant. You were going to go into thyroid-binding proteins. Oh, yeah, thyroid-binding proteins. Of course, the, the, all rants lead to thyroid-binding proteins. So the thyroid produces these hormones, and these hormones get released into circulation by the thyroid gland, and these hormones get bound to to things to be carried. And the, the, the things that they get bound to are things like thyroxine binding globulin or TBG, um, transthyretin and albumin. And like I said last week, I, I think that's how you pronounce transthyretin. I don't, nobody's ever corrected me. So I, I don't know. We're, we're just giving it a whirl. Um, but thyroid binding globulin um, or thyroxine binding globulin is the major binding proteins binding protein rather in humans and under normal circumstances less than 0.05% of thyroid hormone is in its unbound or free form in the blood so this stuff's bound up all over the place that's how it gets carried around okay so it's thought that only this tiny fraction of free thyroid hormone is able to enter a cell and perform all of the biologic actions that thyroid hormone gives, okay? So this means that the that the total concentration or the concentration rather of total T4 and T3 is heavily dependent on the concentration of these binding proteins while the free hormone concentrations don't really, they're, they're basically independent of them. And this is why we test both the free form and the total form it tells us you know okay we, this is what's out there that's free and this is what's out there that's total so we know that that everything is is bound to these proteins that that carry this stuff through the blood 
And we also measure these proteins because it's important to know, can you actually, do you actually have enough transport things to carry this around? I talk about albumin and and thyroid binding uh, globulin to patients like, it's like barges on a river. And we're here in St. Louis. We see barges go up and down the Mississippi River all the time. The barges are what move the things through. Well, that's what these are. And if you don't have enough barges, you can't move enough enough material. And so that's why it's important to, to check. But in low T3 syndrome, the concentration of thyroid binding proteins decreases as a consequence of this acute phase response, a.k.a. inflammation. So... If we don't have enough to carry around, guess what? We're not going to have enough of the thyroid hormone out there. So an example of this, thyroid binding globulin or thyroxine binding globulin levels decrease by as much as 60% in the 12 hours following someone getting a bypass surgery. That's a massive, massive drop, 60% drop in 12 hours. So... There are, there are animal studies out there, and studies in rodents, they actually find that inflammation leads to a significant decrease in transthyretin, which is the, which is the main plasma thyroid hormone binding protein in that species. So that particular rodent that they're talking about in that, in that study, that's what they're, they're paying or the, that's what they're looking for, and inflammation causes a massive decrease. The fall in these binding proteins is likely what accounts for the decrease in total T4 and T3 levels in both acute and chronic illness. When we're sick, we don't do a very good job of of carrying things around. This is another reason why we're huge fans of IV vitamins and minerals and proteins at the clinic at the Institute of Natural Health because if we... Otherwise, we don't have any way to transport this stuff around. We can't carry these things. So let's just deliver it directly to the tissues. So that's why we do those sorts of things. And, you know, once people get a few IVs and they realize how much better they feel, yeah, they're on board and they're like, yeah, this is the ticket because I'm tired of not feeling very good. And so. Right. <laughs> she moved to the microphone. So I paused. I was, I was like, oh, she's got something to say. I was I'm so excited. I was just shifting in my seat. But <laughs> I, I, thought, got, oh, wait. I got right. <laughs> no, that was I wasn't going to say anything at all. Like I'm, I'm over here. Same, I'm over here struggling with my chair. If you guys could see me in the studio, I, I flipped a little button and it threw me forward and I almost fell onto the floor. I can't figure <laughs> out how to make it go. I've got to wait till the next commercial break. Liz is laughing at me because my chair's all tilted forward. I'm like basically standing up here. It's terrible. I don't know what happened. Just stupid thyroid dysfunction, I'm telling you. Oh, gosh. And she said, right <laughs> I thought we were going to get some some great wisdom. No, no, we got right. So anyway, so let's go back and talk a little bit more about inflammation and how inflammation really can mess up thyroid function. So we talked about these cytokines, these things that that help our cells talk to each other. And we talked about pro-inflammatory cytokines. These are just basically the chemical messengers in the inflammatory response. They have been shown to contribute to this low T3 syndrome in a lot of different ways. And we're going to talk about just a a few of them. So interleukin-6, I mentioned that earlier in the show. Interleukin-6 is 
posi- has been positively correlated with reverse T3, which is basically an inactive form of T3, and negatively correlated with free T3. Now, if you remember back to last week, and if you didn't listen to last week, I gave a very good example of the difference between T3 and reverse T3. T3 we can work with. Reverse T3 is basically worthless to the human body. We can't really do much with it. So what this is basically saying is that the more interleukin-6 that's out there circulating in your blood, the less active thyroid hormone you'll have available to your cells and tissues. The more inflamed you are, the less thyroid hormone you're going to have. And we know that thyroid hormone affects our metabolism. So the more inflamed you are, the less metabolically active your body is going to be. That is problematic, okay? There's another one out there, another another cytokine, inflammatory cytokine called tumor necrosis factor alpha or TNF alpha. And if when when researchers just give this stuff in to healthy people, they watch changes take place and their thyroid hormones change and they're characteristic. These changes are characteristic of someone having low T3 syndrome. Just giving a healthy person an inflammatory cytokine causes these changes and they're measurable. They're actually watching them take place. Another one is if they administer interferon alpha, which is another uh, pro-inflammatory cytokine, it causes a decrease in T3 and TSH and it causes a rise in reverse T3. So we're making our thyroid less functioning or less metabolically active. These Our thyroid hormones are becoming less metabolically active. Erin has just moved completely away from the microphone, ladies and gentlemen. She's just like, she's across the room. I'm not really sure what you're doing over there. She's just leaning farther and farther. I think she's rubbing it in that I'm sitting very uncomfortably in my chair here. No, you've, you've got this covered. Oh, okay. So anyway, all of that to say, inflammation is going to cause thyroid function to drop, okay? And, you know, that that's our that's our big takeaway. That's one thing that I want everyone out there to understand is that the primary mechanisms of low T3 syndrome are mediated by inflammation. Okay? They're mediated by inflammation. And we see this. We have patients in the clinic who have their T3 is just low and they're inflamed as can be. They've got chronic infections, they've got chronic um problems going on and they are exhibiting all these signs and symptoms of low T3 and we have to fix all those other problems just giving them T3 doesn't help. It will not help them. They will get jittery and anxious and and create problems within themselves by by trying to do that. But by decreasing the inflammation, does it help? Yes. I mean, so even I'm just thinking, even if people are out there thinking, okay, I don't know that I want to go and have a full workup and get this, you know, fixed completely. We offer so many different treatments in the clinic that are for inflammation. So I'm wondering, could that make a difference? Yeah, it it very well can. And the key is figuring out like, why is this inflammation there? Yeah, inflammation is the is the root of a lot of things, but what's driving that inflammation? And I just mentioned infections. There are a lot of times we're dealing with chronic infections. This is why we recommend that a lot of people Go see a biologic dentist. Find one. The biologic dentists are very good at finding hidden infections in the mouth. There are a lot of procedures that take place in the mouth that that cause these infections to hang out in the mouth and create problems. And it's just this low fuel that's given to the fire, this inflammatory fire. So we just keep burning and burning and burning and creating more and more dysfunction.
Well, there's our music. We've got to take another break. When we come back, we're actually going to talk about autoimmune condition and its relation to low T3 syndrome. You're listening to Wellness 101. I was channeling my inner Slash. It was wonderful and glorious. Everyone loves Slash. A lot of times I feel like I shouldn't turn down the music because you just... I know. You're having so much fun (laughs) with the music. I'm like, I feel bad just (laughs) making it bumper music. We should just... Play music for the first two minutes of these segments. Yeah. There's too much information. There's too much. That is right. There's too much information. And in fact, there's so much information that Aaron actually spoke during the uh, during the break, and we actually have decided that we're going to uh, turn this into a three-part show. Um, and our third part, we will talk about some testing and treatments, and we've started to get a flood of questions, so we are probably going to do answering some questions. Right. So if you have questions out there, you still can email them to us because we will be answering them next week. But we've gotten so many so far that I think we, you know, we have plenty to fill. We'll finish up talking about what we were going to talk about and then answer just all of the questions that have come in. Yeah. So it'll be a fun show. It'll be exciting. Right. And maybe Aaron will talk. I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I'm promising anything. We'll, we'll make her read the questions. I can do that. Yeah. I can do that. I'm yeah. not sure anyone wants the, my answers to these she questions. She super but excited about reading them. Yeah, I can do she, that. She yeah. did. Her, I've got a role. Yeah, she has a, <laughs> she has a job. It's a reason for me to be here. She's so, she's so excited. Oh, gosh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, okay, uh, we're, uh, we were going to come back and talk about autoimmune. So... We're going to, so this is a mouthful. So there is a, an autoimmune condition that is much lesser known than, you know, our, our Hashimoto's and things like that. Graves. Yeah. Graves. Oh, she, Graves. She was in on that. Look at that. She's talking in the last segment. She's been quiet for the show. Now we're going to get some, get some, get some information out of her. Um, so there's another autoimmune condition it's called autoimmune hypopituitarism. Um, yeah, so it's a lot to say. Autoimmune hypopituitarism. Just keep telling yourself that. So the pituitary gland, as we said before, is just below the hypothalamus, but it's outside of the blood-brain barrier. Its main job is to monitor the levels of hormones produced by different endocrine glands um, and endocrine organs, rather, um, things like the thyroid, and then release the stimulating hormones for that gland, like TSH or thyroid stimulating hormone. And then that then directs the organs to produce their respective hormones. In this case, we're talking about thyroid, so we'd be talking about T3 and T4. So the pituitary gland can actually be a target of, inf- of an inflammatory response to local infections, cancer, or autoimmune reactions. So when we have autoimmune mechanisms involved, so autoimmune, if, you, if you're just listening or are unfamiliar with that term, that's when your immune system is attacking you and your own body tissues. It doesn't recognize you as, as friendly. It recognizes you as foreign or a foe, and it tries to kill it and attack it. So when an autoimmune me- mechanism is involved, um, 
we end up with lymphocytic adenohypophysis or hypophysitis rather, um, or LAH, or basically another term, like we said, everything has two or three terms, autoimmune hypopituitarism. So for for ease of of us saying this over and over again, we're going to refer to it as LAH, the the lymphocytic adenohypophysitis, okay? So what is this? What is this LAH? So it's basically the progressive destruction of pituitary tissue over time, which causes a, dec- a decline in the function of the pituitary gland. Now, this has a huge impact. There's more than one thing affected especially as this becomes becomes advanced. If you just look up pituitary function, my gosh, you're going to see all of these these hormones that that the pituitary gland is in, is responsible for. Things like adrenocor- adrenocorticotropin um hormone or ACTH, that's actually the most common um uh problem that occurs. Then there's thyrotropin deficiency or TSH, then we have gonadotropin deficiency, that's things like FSH, follicle stimulating hormone and uh, an LH luteinizing hormone. Those are very very important for for women. Um growth hormone deficiency and prolactin deficiency as well. So it's what's crazy is that, you know, it's extremely unknown, but it's relatively prevalent. Even though the true prevalence is unknown, a lot of researchers believe that it's unreported because it's misdiagnosed. There, there are some people that say it may affect up to half a percent of the population, which is a huge number if you really think about a half of a percent of the population. But it may be affecting 40 percent of people with Hashimoto's. Right. And and 90 percent of people with hypothyroidism have Hashimoto's. Oh, well, thanks. That was what I was going to say. Oh, damn. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> so back to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's too funny. We have a good time. So how is it? How is it diagnosed? So it's. It's misdiagnosed because it's very hard to pin down because there are so many other things that are going on. And I tell a lot of people in our our clinic that, you know, autoimmune condition is autoimmune condition. It may be attacking your joints today and giving you rheumatoid arthritis and down the road it's it's attacking something else and it's giving you something else and it's attacking the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And that's why it's so difficult for us to diagnose these autoimmune things. We just really care about autoimmune condition. Is it going on? Um, But. There, so there's a there's a researcher out there. His last name's Yoon Y O O N. Um, they injected hamsters with the rubella virus, and they basically consistently created LAH. Um, they actually saw antibodies, autoantibodies of the pituitary cells, and they saw this infiltrate that happened. So they're thinking that viral infections may be a cause. And that's something else that we look into at the Institute. We make sure that people don't have chronic viral infections or, you know, we ask them, you know, did you, do you remember having this or this or this, or did your mom say, tell you you had this? But They've researchers have identified antibodies to growth hormone, TSH, luteinizing hormone. We've we've just we've identified these things. So, what are the signs? Symptoms, signs and symptoms include things like headache, impaired vision, nausea, weakness, loss of appetite, hormone imbalances. How many people have those complaints? Tons, right? But it's very 
hard LAH in itself is very hard to characterize because it mimics so many other problems. What and, if they don't have loss of appetite? So? I mean, I well, I just want to point out You don't that have to have all there of are them. so many times when we talk about different conditions and we say here are the symptoms and a lot of times it's weight loss or less loss of appetite and people think, okay, well then that's not me. So right. I just want to point out that, you know, exactly what you said. Just right. because you don't have one of these symptoms does not mean that it isn't an issue. Right. Well, listen to this one. So there's a researcher out there, Del Vecchio. They found that 40% of newly diagnosed celiac patients had anti-pituitary autoantibodies in their blood. They're, they're suggesting that these two things are related. So it's very important, but it's not discussed hardly ever. So how do you treat it? Well, you... The conventional model doesn't have treatment for for it. They will maybe use immunosuppressants like prednisone or or methotrexate, something like that. But the risks and the side effects of these things are oftentimes worse than having the actual condition itself. So you got to make sure that you're eating well. That's a that's a big one um, for for working with this. And well is relative. I mean, because yes. a lot of people think that they're eating well and. Yes, they may be eating better than the people around them or eating what they believe is healthy, right. but it's not what they need to help an autoimmune condition. Right. Because with an autoimmune condition, we care about what your immune system is yes. doing. That's why we like to do food sensitivity testing, because your immune system may not like it when you eat broccoli. It may not like it when you eat chicken. It may not like it when you eat eggs. Eggs. Eggs are another big one. So we really got to narrow this down. That's one of the biggest things that you can do if you have this autoimmune stuff is that okay so we'll leave it at that optimizing vitamins and and minerals are extremely important as well vitamin d glutathione vitamin c iodine selenium that that sort of stuff is is where it's at so we're about out of time next week we're when you turn in we're going to be talking about testing treatments and questions with with low t3 syndrome go to our website check us out the institute of natural health.com follow us on our um social media outlets i i sorry slash in the background threw me for a loop there um call us 314-293-8123 we love hearing from you we love all the comments we're going to answer questions send a ton we'll be happy to do it thanks for listening for aaron and wellness 101 i'm dr tj thanks for listening